Okay, so now we're going to the last session of the evening, managing um, difficult cases of uh, ALL. So um, we're going to go, um, it, it, this, it, we're gonna go do, do this in a case by case, like a patient presentation, because that's how I think it's, um, it's helpful. Um, case one, a 65-year-old patient with a Philadelphia negative um, patient um, comes in who is MRD positive at the end of hyper-CVAD cycle 1B. Um, what do we do in this situation? So the questions um, would come up is when in the treatment course should MRD be considered positive? So this patient is positive at the end of 1B. Um, that is um, generally considered high risk for relapse, but when, when does um, one um, warrant a change in treatment um, um, strategy? And several you know, trials have looked at this timing um, thing, and generally at the end of three months is considered um, when a shift has to um, take place, and we're going to go through that um, data. Um, definition of MRD positivities was already discussed uh, in the previous talk, so I'm not going to go into too much detail um, about it. Um, uh, like I said, the treatment has to be changed based on MRD positivity, so it's very, very important um, to actually uh, measure this in patients with ALL. And the other question is, should these people be transplanted? So if, uh, uh, if someone comes in like this, you have an MRD positive disease and you do something to make it negative, what is the next step? Um, the answer to that generally is once they are MRD negative, uh, these patients uh, are at high risk of relapse. So even though they're MRD negative, the standard um, protocol dictates that these patients be transplanted via an allogenic um, transplant, but only after their MRD neg is, um, is negative because if patients are transplanted directly with MRD positive um, disease, the rates of relapse uh, is almost um, universal. So let's look at the, um, this patient. So this patient um, had 1B, so technically he could have another cycle to see if the MRD is still persistent at the end of the three months. And let's say at that point, um, this patient uh, uh, is now eligible for uh, a change in treatment based on this study. The BLAST study looked at Philadelphia negative B-cell ALL, um, who received at least three chemotherapy blocks of standard ALL treatment and was MRD positive more than 0.1%. Um, in these patients, when blinitumumab was administered um, for up to four cycles, the rate of MRD negativity was um, uh, very high. 82% of patients achieved an MRD negative uh, um, uh, a rate. And uh, this was seen in, um, in all, across all boards uh, in terms of if uh, the MRD was positive through first, second, or the third um, um, treatments. Uh, it didn't matter what the uh, level of MRD was. Um, the responses were seen across all levels of MRD, um, 67 to 78%. Um, so based on this study, this patient um, should receive uh, blinitumumab. Uh, the hypercivad would stop. The patient be switched to um, blinitumumab. And once an MRD uh, negative state is uh, confirmed to proceed with um, allogenic um, transplant. Usually the drug is tolerated. I won't go into too much detail about individual um, toxicities. We went through this last year in the same meeting, but you got to watch out for fevers and some uh, um, um, CRS, uh, cytokine release syndrome events, but these are generally rare in situations with MRD positive disease because there's not a lot of volume of disease. So see, these symptoms are generally more likely um, seen in blinitumumab with, uh, with lots of disease present, not in the MRD um, positive situation. Now let's say case two. 
and there's a twist to it. Um, so if you have a 55-year-old patient that comes with primary refractory Philadelphia negative B-cell ALL, and um, the second patient has a, is a 25-year-old patient with relapsed B-cell ALL during maintenance treatment, so this is the first relapse. Um, so we'll answer these two cases based on the um, review of literature. If you look at the Tower study, which is the first study, um, Philadelphia negative um, B-cell ALL, who were either primary refractory, so our, uh, our patient um, would fall into this category. Um, and uh, uh, these patients either got blenitumumab or uh, uh, randomized to any chemotherapy of choice. And if you look at the curves on the right, the blenitumumab, the median sur uh, survival was higher with blenitumumab compared to chemotherapy, 7.7 versus 4 months. Obviously, this patient, if they do achieve a, a remission, should be transplanted um, as well. Um, because long-term cure rates uh, are not um, um, yet, uh, in patients with relapsed B-cell ALL, long-term cure rates without allogenic transplant is not possible. Um, the second patient who is 25-year-old um, would also um, uh, be, uh, could be um, um, eligible um, for the uh, drug as well. Um, now, if you look at, and we haven't given the answer yet, but if you look at uh, the effectiveness of blenitumumab across all groups, most of the time, most of these subgroups with, with regards to age, salvage treatment phase, and previous um, stem cell transplantation, blenitumumab was effective across all these subgroups. The only place where there is some um, uh, perhaps borderline um, result, and this is subgroup analysis, but the bone marrow blast count over 50% um, is where uh, blenitumumab versus chemotherapy um, shows uh, more borderline results. It's not completely favors um, blenitumumab. There's also a slightly higher chance of having um, a, of significant CRS in people with the high volume um, burden. But and this, so this is what this trial um, showed in patients who have relapsed um, ALL. Now, what is the second drug that is approved in this situation? Uh, that's um, inetizumab ozogamicin, which is. Uh, uh, CD22 targeted um, chemotherapy. Um, this trial, the INNOVATE trial, um, uh, took patients with relapsed B-cell ALL, adult, uh, relapsed after one or two previous induction cycles, so both of our patients would be um, falling into this um, category, uh, and also included Philadelphia positive. Inosuzumab was given um, generally on a weekly schedule compared to chemotherapy, um, and uh, inosuzumab had a very high chance of going into CR. The CR rate in this study was about about um, 80%, um, and with the increased um, overall survival compared to chemotherapy. So this patient would obviously be eligible for this drug as well. Now, if you look at the subgroup analysis within this study, um, and uh, it, it, it is, we don't have to think too much about it, everything is on the right side, which means everything favors um, inotuzumab, uh, except for the 411 translocation, which our patient um, does not have. Um, interestingly, people with high blast count, or the, more than 50%, it also favored inotuzumab, so one might argue that in this patient, patient um, who has a frank relapse uh, or primary refractory disease, the blast counts more than 50%. Inotuzumab, um, based on this subgroup analysis, may be a, a better drug in this um, situation. But you could also use um, linitumumab as well. Um, in, but data suggests that high um, burden disease uh, is better with, um, with inotuzumab. The third drug that is also, um, we call it drug, but uh, it's really um, uh, 
cellular therapy um, are the CAR T cells. Um, there is, an, uh, I won't go too much um, into detail about it, but this uh, is the CAR T again CD19. The idea is that patients um, um, have uh, a, a phoresis procedure with um, collection of uh, peripheral T cells. They're then transfected um, with um, CAR T cells and then transferred uh, uh, back into the patient. Um, there is a significant um, risk of um, cytokine release syndrome that needs to be monitored. Patients have to be hospitalized. This obviously is done in CAR-T facilities um, um, only. Based on this um, um, concept, uh, the, the CAR-T cell that is tisagenolu cell, one day I'll say this right. Um, anyways, this drug um, was given to patients um, uh, with uh, um, long-term CR rates, but it is approved only in patients up to 25 years of age and who are refractory or in second or more relapse. So our patient, our two patients that we talked about, the first one was um, primary refractory but 65 years old, would not be eligible for this um, based on the um, approval. Um, there are obviously trials ongoing with a lot of these um, CAR T cells, but the approval would not um, favor this. And uh, this is also approved only in second or more relapse. So our second patient who is technically in the 25-year age group um, would not directly be elig eligible at the moment, but uh, um, if they get another treatment, uh, like inotuzumab uh, like, uh, um, or uh, blinatumumab, and then proceed to have refractory disease, then they would be um, covered by this trial and be um, eligible. These are the long-term, uh, um, what I call, sort of can't exactly say cure rate because these trials are still ongoing, but you can look at um, survival. Um, uh, at six months, it's about 67%. There's a fl this is a line that some of these patients are still in continued follow-up, um, although patients are relapsing um, later as well. But this is obviously a very important um, uh, uh, important um, cellular therapy that has um, been approved. Um, so, so now we, we talked about relapsed, uh, you know, Philadelphia negative B cell ALL. What do we do about relapses with Philadelphia positive disease? So, uh, we have a 65-year-old patient here with Philadelphia positive ALL um, with a, a relapse. Um, question is, would able, should we be checking able kinase mutation at the time of relapse to diagnose resistance mutations um, like T315I? The answer is yes. So um, a lot of the patients um, with uh, uh, Philadelphia positive ALL uh, are treated with a combination of chemotherapy plus a TKI. So imatinib or tisatinib are generally used um, uh, for, for this situation. And there have been um, reported uh, late relapses on these regimens, and many of these relapses are happening because of the emergence of resistance clone in T315I, which is obviously sensitive to panatinib. So it's important to um, order this at the time of relapse to understand if there is another TKI that could be um, used. There are um, ongoing trials phase two, um, that have looked at panatinib in the frontline setting in order to avoid this um, sort of late emergence uh, of resistance, um, and uh, um, that is some of the centers um, uh, do use that, and we do use that uh, in upfront setting as well. Now, if you have this patient, um, let's say if they have a resistant mutations or not, um, what are the options? Blinitumumab, inotuzumab, switch to a different TKI? Do you, do you have trials that 
uh, could be for combinations of immunotherapies and TKI. So there are several, several options here. And um, there is uh, a few data that are large, but lots of these are smaller phase two studies that have combined um, treatments. Um, so obviously, if there is a T315I mutation and there is a molecular relapse uh, um, only, um, then sometimes you could consider um, using ponatinib in that situation in order to bring down the, the clone. Um, but let's look at some of the um, larger trials that have looked at that. The Alcantara study lo uh, um, looked at a Philadelphia positive ALL adult relapsed or refractory to at least one prior TKI therapy uh, or intolerant to a second generation TKI. Patients received plinitumumab in this setting. And um, as you see, there were patients, um, and this is single agent plinitumumab, not um, with a TKI. Um, and if you, as you see, there have been um, responses up to single agent uh, 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 blinitumumab uh, with a CR rate of about 40%. Um, so this is one option to do. There have been small trials looking at a combination of blinitumumab with uh, TKI, like ponatinib, um, and uh, there are really, really uh, small studies. Uh, it's like 11 patients uh, kind of a thing, um, and uh, have reported like 9 out of 11 CRs, but that's, that's some of these um, trials are currently being looked at combining um, these uh, agents in the relapsed uh, setting. The second um, drug, uh, the inotuzumab, which we have discussed previously, this trial, the Innovate study, also looked at Philadelphia-positive um, patients in the same fashion. And if you look at, again, the subgroup analysis, uh, patients with Philadelphia-positive disease also uh, responded to the drug. So that is another option which is as valid as blinitumumab in this situation. Um, and that could be part of the um, um, uh, toolkit, I guess, um, for, um, for uh, this uh, patient. And again, the blast count would go into um, understanding, and obviously if the relapse is MRD only, then blinitumumab would be a, a, a better way to, to go. Um, now, the other frequently absolute like lack of randomized data kind of uh, patient that comes in um, is, is a, a typical older patient, a 79-year-old that comes with newly diagnosed ALL. So what do we do in this situation? What are the treatments um, available for older patients with ALL? And can we achieve long-term remissions without chemotherapy in this situation? Um, so, so let's think about all the um, um, options. There are, you know, in terms of standard sort of options, you could, in the old days, you could give just um, CVP, which is, you know, cytoxin increased in prednisone, which can lead to remissions in some of these patients. Obviously, there have not been any long-term, you know, cure rates with these regimens. Um, we sometimes use mini hyper-CVAD for these older patients who can tolerate some amount of chemotherapy. Mini hyper-CVAD is something that was developed by MD Anderson. Um, where there's dose reductions in both A and B cycle. The A cycle is generally um, a dose reduced by 50%. It's not perfect. There's a whole regimen to it. And the B cycle also reduced significantly. And there have been um, remissions and some long-term, um, 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 you know, some survival on these patients. But again, these are not obviously curative um, um, regimens. Uh, but in this era of... Uh, 
um, newer agents and immunotherapies with elderly patients, what are the other options that could be available? Uh, there's a lot of these clinical trials that are ongoing. Um, there is one with mini hyper-CVAD with inotuzumab. That is a, um, a trial that is um, enrolling. Um, it is uh, not standard of care, obviously. This is a clinical trial. Um, uh, getting a pretty good um, response rate of about 80% in these elderly um, patients with ALL. Obviously, we do not have long-term data on this. These are just newer um, trials. CVP with inotuzumab is another upfront um, study that is enrolling. Um, some uh, mild form of chemotherapy, sort of with blinutumumab, um, is another trial. TKIs in patients who are Philadelphia positive, plus blinutumumab. There have been um, uh, regimens where you could um, use TKIs plus steroids in vincristin to achieve a remission, and then use blinutumumab to sort of clear MRD. Again, these are smaller, smaller um, trials. And in patients who are Philadelphia um, positive, um, the, the, the sort of the, the largest study to some extent which has been published in older patients is the EWAL regimen where um, patients uh, get chemotherapy, um, which is milder in combination with um, uh, disatinib. Disatinib is given at 140 milligrams along with vincristin and prednisone um, until CR is achieved. And once uh, that's after disnid uh, weekly, um, it takes about four weeks. And once the CR is achieved, there is... Um, uh, uh, small chemotherapies with like cytarabine, small doses of pegasparaginase. These were all given in patients who are over 55 years old, so they're not your typical 79-year-old, and a 79-year-old should not get pegasparaginase, but just talking in general on this topic, um, this has... Um, um, this is also something that has um, uh, been looked at with, uh, with uh, um, about 36% surviving at three years, um, um, and that's something we do consider in select patients um, who are older and Philadelphia positive and can handle a small dose of pegasparaginase. So in short, this, this patient has multiple options. With you, you're not going to have any big trials that can dictate it. So depending on availability, um, trial enrollment, um, you know, you could c consider some of these um, um, options or go for a mini hyper-CVAD-like um, situation or just CVP. Now, one of the... One of the <laughs> Most frustrating parts of ALL management, I think, is relapsed T-cell ALL. Um, you know, we have all of these agents in B-cell ALL that are ongoing, but when you have a relapsed T-cell ALL, we really are lost um, in terms of good options that, that these patients can um, get cured from, um, from their relapse with. Um, so there are, there is... Um, there's only two approved drugs for relapsed T-cell ALL. There is an, lots of, um, similar to how there is a marker for CD19 in B-cell, there's nothing like that in T-cell, and there has been a lot of research that's ongoing and genomics and see if you could really look at certain um, subsets of T-cell ALL and would there be a signature that would have small molecular inhibition, but we are nowhere close to any you know, approval at the moment. But let's look at the two drugs that are approved in this situation. The first one is nilarabine. 
um, which is uh, approved for T-cell um, ALL. And um, patients who had a relapsed uh, uh, disease um, uh, did uh, achieve uh, um, CR with the drug with some long-term survival if transplanted. So if you look at the survival, overall survival after transplant, obviously this is hugging sort of the, the bottom, but there is, if patients do achieve a, a remission, they could be transplanted with nilarabine, so that's one choice. The problem with nilarabine is that the neurotoxicity seen with this drug is real, and it's seen very, very commonly um, in almost 70% of patients. Um, this can take the form of tingling, numbness, uh, a small sensory neuropathy to severe motor neuropathy where the patients could stop walking. And the, there's no marker for who will get this or to what severity they will get that and no real treatment for this. So mostly physical therapy is all we can, uh, we can do. There is some concern, obviously, that patients who do take nilarabine and then go on to get um, transplanted um, you know, the, and all the other regimens that do happen at that time, the, the, we have seen some patients with increased neurotoxicity even post-transplant. So this is something, you know, it's, uh, it, it's an available um, agent and we do not have any, uh, you know, uh, so this is, val this is something we do use in patients with relapsed T-cell ALL who are younger and can handle chemotherapy, but it is not without toxicity, and patients have to be monitored very closely for developing signs of, uh, of neurotoxicity because there's frequently nothing you can um, do to stop it. The other drug um, that we sort of um, consider sometimes is liposomal vincristin. So if you have a very old patient who cannot handle nilarabine, um, liposomal vincristin has been um, tested in patients. Uh, uh, there, it was mostly B-cell ALL that the group, the trial looked at, but about 10 patients um, also had T-cell ALL. And the overall CR with liposomal vincristin was 20%, and in T-cell ALL it was also 20%. The duration of CR, 23 months, time to CR, 50 six days. So survival was obviously 4.6 months, median survival, but it is something we could consider using um, if, some, if uh, an older patient with T-cell ALL do needs, um, wants, does want treatment. And with this, thank you.